Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at GoSBLive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at GoStonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at Facebook.com slash GoStonebridge and our Instagram at SBChurch. So we are finishing up this series and incidentally, uh, I didn't do what Brian did last week, if you were here, where he came up you know, with some kind of device and one leg and also someone else would carry the table and all too. So just to let you know, you can tell Brian, he carried his own table. Okay. So Brian had, just to let you know that Brian had surgery uh, this week. So he is still in recovery and he'll be doing a lot of recovery from his Achilles tendon. And it's a good lesson. Brian wants y'all all to know that if you are over 45, you shouldn't be playing basketball with the young guys because uh, this is what you will you will pay the price with this. So we, you know, we've been talking about the, the difference that uh, those followers of Jesus, uh, men and women, uh, made in their culture and how it affected the culture, which is one of the reasons I, I like talking about it, because it's, it's one of those things that um, it's the application of their faith and application of who Jesus was in their life as it affected the culture, which is really in some ways the proof of it. It really is. Uh, it, it, it proves um, how committed they were. It proves of how they, they saw Jesus and how they understood what he had done for them. And they're willing to live it out with their lives, which if, if we're honest, right? If we're honest, that's the struggle for all of us, isn't it? Am I going to be able to live this out? Is this so real to me? Is this so important? Um, is this so, so much a part of who I am that I am able to act this out in a way and live this out in a way? And, and maybe you're this way. I'm certainly this way. There are people that live out their faith in a way that it inspires me and at times it challenges me because I think, wow, you know, they must really believe this. And uh, those early believers were very different uh, because of who Jesus was and, uh, and how uh, the things that he had done. So I, I, I titled this one, Is Gratitude, is, is Thanksgiving, Is It Still Appropriate? And you might think, well, what a question. But in our culture, uh, we're actually struggling a lot more with that than we have in, in the past, where there are a lot of people who look at you, if you, if you celebrate, you give thanks, um, you show gratitude, and there are people who will say, well, you're actually part of the problem. You don't see things correctly. You think there are things looking back and are worth celebrating or saying those were good, and, and you're missing the struggles that, that we're going through now or the, the things that, you know, that haven't been fixed yet or done right. And there's, there's an attitude shift that has gone on that says anyone saying anything different than that is actually the problem. They're, they're like deniers and they're, they, they don't really see what the world is really like. And that was not true of the early believers. Uh, hopefully, as a believer, it would not be true of you today that your, your thanksgiving and your gratitude actually comes out of the fact that you recognize that God sent his son Jesus as a way of rescuing us and redeeming us. Is the world perfect? Of course it's not. Is, uh, is the church perfect? Oh my goodness, you know, come on. We just sang, I, what I need you, Lord, I, yeah, every hour I need you. That, that has been the attitude of the church or those believers when they recognized what Jesus had done for them and they, and they constantly were reminded how much they needed him because they were not 
uh, the people that they wanted to be yet, and they were not the people that they hoped to be yet, but they knew that Jesus had done something to help move them in a direction. But, but we struggle. I, I will, uh, hopefully I won't, no one will think I'm getting too political when I do this, because I'm an equal opportunity offender. And uh, so I was, I was listening this week, you know, of course we did the midterm elections, and I was listening this week to uh, an interview with Mike Pence. And of course, you know who Mike Pence is, former vice president. And it was on CNN, and uh, Jake Tapper was the interviewer. And I thought it was interesting. Um, even though I, I like Mike Pence, and uh, personally, uh, but I have a hard time following because he, he talks too slow. He needs more coffee in his system so that he just kind of, you know, goes for it. But it, anyway, that's just me. So, uh, but they were, they were talking to him, and he's expressing his values, and he's talking about the struggles that he's gone through. Very real, because Mike is a follower of Jesus Christ, and he believes it's okay to be real with who you are and to talk about your, your struggles. And at one time, he talks about some of the changes that he made when he got into politics. And he said this. I, I love this. He said, I try to live my life based on, in the Bible, what Jesus said. It's called the golden rule. You know what the golden rule is? Do unto others as you would, yeah, have them do unto you. And so he says, that, I try to live my life that way. I realize I am not. And he said, rather than what we see too often, which is do unto others before they do unto you, right? And, uh, and so he was kind of pushing back at that, and he's, and he's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about forgiving people for the things they say and whatever. And, and listen, again, I'm not trying to be political or anything like that because I don't know Jake Tapper. Don't know, but he said what, what a lot of us would actually think and might say when he talked about forgiveness, he said, well, but there are a lot of people who haven't asked for forgiveness yet. Now, do you ever think that, feel that way? Sure. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons not to, to offer forgiveness to someone. And I'm doing forgiveness as one of the characteristics that the followers of Jesus had because of what God did for them, because of what God gave to them. And he gave them forgiveness of their sins. And so the early believers understood this. God gave us this. He was generous to us beyond you know, our ability or who we are. Therefore, we have to live out in some way the forgiveness that God gave to us, right? I've got to offer forgiveness in some way because of what God has offered to me. I have to see it differently than the normal way I would see it as a person, which is I'm offended, uh, I'm hurt, uh, someone took advantage of me, someone owes me. Remember with Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love and he talks about the depths of love, God's kind of love. And one of the characteristics of that kind of love is his love does not keep a list, right? A record of all the what? Wrongs that have been done against it, you know. Because the, the person who understands love realizes that that's not a good, that's not a good move. You, you will never find what you're looking for just trying to keep the list and hold that list up and make sure one day I try to, it, it, just, it just won't happen. And it, it's, it's very different than just letting go of things, forgiveness is. Um, you've probably been taught before, and, and I, I would teach my kids, just let it go. I teach my, now I have grandkids, just let it go at times. I'm watching a football game uh, yesterday. Uh, you probably watched some uh, college football and, and a bad call on the field, and one of the players gets very upset, one of the defensive players mad at the ref. And in a way that, you know, 
when I was growing up, you, you, you wouldn't do that just because you would know you can't do that. But now you can and just would not let it go. And there are coaches in his face trying to get him to calm down. Why? Because they are winning. Do not blow the game and get thrown out of the game and don't get into a fight with the referee because you don't like the call and you can see them saying, right, <laughs> let it go. It's, you have to weigh it out in perspective. And you have to say, is it more important for me to have my feelings and the fact that I was, you know, I think it was a bad call, satisfied somehow and strike out as if you're going to somehow fix this or is it better to have a, a perspective from the whole team and a player that we're winning the game, let's go ahead and focus back on the game, let's go ahead and play the game and win the game. That, that's part of it. And if God is willing to forgive, and God shows us forgiveness as a way of life, then it should challenge us to say, but wait a minute, maybe I should forgive, maybe I should let go. And I'm saying this to, to all sides, to all people, because that is, that is what Jesus taught his disciples and what the disciples immediately start to put into practice and begins to infect people even in their day, and it continues today. Now, I know there are people, just to let you know, I, I understand there are people who say, well, that's just a part of humanity. You know, humanity evolves into a more forgiving or gracious. That's not true. That is just absolutely not true. Our humanity, our humanness, our sinful side does not do that. We have a hard time letting go, having a hard time forgiving someone else. We have a hard time not keeping a list and remembering all those things and saying, one day, right, I'm going to get all of these resolved. That Humanity struggles with things like that. And so when Christianity comes in, followers of Jesus come in, they start uh, living in the world, everything starts to change. And I, I did put in your outline because I, I want to acknowledge the fact that, that some people would think differently. I, I put in here, but haven't there always been people who expressed gratitude in the world? Yes, of course there are. Even before Jesus, there were people who expressed gratitude um, in the world. But that's not what Jesus brought into the world. It's not just an expression, a thanksgiving. He, he brought in a, no, a new reason to, to express gratitude. Yes, I put in there, there was something different in the way the followers of Jesus expressed it, the way, the way they tried to live it out um, in their life. I, I don't know if you know this, there's a, there's a book I was reading, um, it's called The um, Destroyer of Gods. It's a brand new book, guy out of uh, Edinburgh, um, I guess he's Scottish, and so uh, and he's a really good book, and he pretty much focuses on the first 300 years of Christianity, not just the scripture, but he also focused on other writings and other things that are done. And, it, and it's pretty remarkable what he chronicles and what he does as far as the, the change that occurred with the growth of these believers of the church, we call it now, but in the world and as they grew. And you may not realize this, but, but he is quoting from um, historians and those who track things like this and look back because no one knows for sure. They didn't have it written down. But as, as he said, most historians will say by 40 A.D., so that's, you know, anywhere from, uh, you know, seven or eight years after Jesus' death and resurrection, by 40 A.D., there are probably about 1,000 Christians in the world. But already, their little groups have started to spread down south into what we call Egypt. They, they've spread uh, east um, in the world. They've gone up into what we, we would think of as Europe. Already, these little groups have been pushed out and began to spread. Only about 1,000 by 40 A.D. By 100 A.D., there are 100,000 in the world. 
Now, they're, they're not welcomed, they're not celebrated, they're not talked about as what a wonderful thing. For the most part, they are persecuted for what they believe because they are upsetting the world, the way the world believes and the way the world um, sees things. And so uh, this, this, this upsetting you know, of, of the world is, is pushed back because they don't see things the same way. They don't live the same way. They don't talk about the same God that the world had been thinking about, you know, or the, the God systems that was in place. By 200 AD, you've gone from 100,000 to, uh, I'm sorry, from 10,000. I said 100, there, 10,000 by 100 AD. You've gone from 10,000 by 100 AD to 200 AD. There are 200,000 Christians estimated in the world. By 300 AD, so that's just a little bit before uh, Constantine makes his his declarations and decides that Christianity is not to be outlawed. So by 300 AD, there are five to six million Christians in the world. And now, you know, we're at what, 2.2 billion, 2.3 billion. And so you have to look at it and every historian had to look at it and say, why? Why does this grow so much in the midst of, of persecution and struggles? And when you do, you have to go and you have to look at, there was something about the way they lived life and how they did life that was different, that eliminated, destroyed, that's what his book's about, destroyed the God systems that were out there, that they weren't realistic, all of a sudden there was a real God. And there had to be something behind it that drove it and something that, that made it happen. Tim Keller, he's got a new book, call uh, Forgive just came out this month, and this is what he says in his book. He says, faith in Jesus Christ, listen to this, and his gospel, that, that means the proclamation of who he is and what he came to do, the change that, that, that he brought, and his gospel gives us a way to understand our profound, uh, someone will try to pronounce that next word, Ineradical, thank you. That's somebody did really good. Um, I had to keep listening to it over and over to be able to pronounce it. Uh, need, this need that we have, that it means that you can't get rid of this need, God's removal of our guilt and our shame. And the world has always struggled with that. How, what am I going to do with my guilt and my shame? And in a world without a living God, what you do is you say, well, it's not really guilt, or it's not really a problem, or I don't, I don't really have guilt. You, you deny it, and it's one of the reasons the world tends to focus on revenge, getting evil, getting, you know, because of the fact that, that we don't know how to deal with it. It's this, it's this thing that's there, but we don't know how to name it, and the reason we don't know how to name it is because we don't know what to do with it if we did acknowledge that it was there. And Christians were able to acknowledge this. It's there. Why? Because there's a solution to it. And when you find out that God loves you despite your sin, and he sends his son to rescue you from your sin, then it's much easier to say, it's there. Yes, I acknowledge it. Um, it's, it's a very real thing in my life because there's a solution for it. When you don't uh, think there's a solution for it, you tend to deny it, cover it up, or act like it's not there, or blame somebody else for all the things that you don't think are right. Then he goes on to say this. It also gives us, listen to this, resources available only to, say this with me, only to who? Yes. Those to see Jesus as he is, who decided that's who I'm going to follow, that's who I believe. Resources available only to believers. I think he's right. Resources, he says, necessary for both receiving forgiveness from God and doing what? Giving it to other people. Right. Receiving forgiveness and also giving it um, to other people. 
In Philippians, Paul says this, and this, this comes right after uh, the second chapter. I've, I, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in Philippians. Paul talks about um, that you're to have the same attitude that Jesus had. In other words, you're trying to imitate him. And there's a reason you should have that attitude because of what he's done. And uh, he even talks about, hey, it'd really make me happy if you did. <laughs> it'd make it all seem worthwhile if you had this same attitude. And he said that, that Jesus didn't stay in heaven. He came down here. He emptied himself, and he gave himself for us. Wow, what an attitude. So, because you can't demand this of Jesus. In fact, you, would, you and I would look at him initially and say, that was a really foolish thing to do. Why would you give up your place in heaven? Well, there, there was a reason because of how much he loved us and the change that when he came, he knew he would bring um, into this world. And, and it has brought a change into this world. And then he, then he goes on and says uh, this, and you've probably heard this uh, verse before, a part of it, he says, verse number 12, same chapter. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always, say this with me, always what? In other words, he's talking about obeyed the gospel and and the the things about who God is. As you've always done that, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. It's a good word. Work it out. He says, for it is God who is at work in you, listen to this, both to will and shape our desires, our will, and to work to put us into things that, that make a difference for his good pleasure. I like this because Paul points out something that is a struggle for me, it's a struggle for you. I, I tend to do the right thing when I know other people are what? Looking, right, yeah. So if Paul's there and he's watching them and he's got his eye on them and he's among them, they have more of a tendency to do what they should do to work out and to walk out their faith and their, their trust in, in Jesus and the, and the gospel message itself. But he's, he's urging them, when I'm there, I know you do it. He says, you also need to do it when I'm not there. Right, because this is how real Jesus Christ is in our life. He's not talking about work out your salvation in the sense that you have to figure out how you're gonna earn your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you, you work it out, you figure out why did he do this? Why would he rescue me? Why would he offer me forgiveness? Certainly if he did, there must be something that I need to do also, or there needs to be something very real in my life that is a reflection of what he has done in my life. Exactly, of course. And that's what the early uh, men and women who followed Jesus, that's what they understood and why they were so unstoppable. Because they knew their need They knew Christ himself had given his life for their need. It had changed them radically how they understood themselves, how they saw themselves. As Jesus said, we started out with this one, they they learned the truth and the truth set them free. It set them free from being bound by their sin, by being bound by the old ideas, the struggles that they held on to before. Now all of a sudden they were free, so they were going to live this out in the world, which is why Christianity continued to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. And everywhere it went, every culture, every race, every religious background where the gospel landed, the message, and people who believed it brought that message, all of a sudden you saw that same gospel 
invades someone else's life and then someone else's life and then someone else's life as Jesus became real to them. He became living to them. Not just a system of of rules, of do's and don'ts, but this incredible, as, as Peter and Paul and John, as they will all state, there's a sense of an obligation because of what he has done that I would live out the same things, that I would practice the same things so that people would, uh, would, would see how real Jesus Christ is. I put, I put a couple other things in here that uh, hopefully would, might stir you to uh, think and make comments and write me some emails. Here's what, here's what I wrote. Forgiving others, because uh, this, this part of what God gave, he gave us forgiveness, was so instrumental. Um, it's, it's good for us personally. It is. It, it, it sets us free when we forgive. You know, it sets us free when we were forgiven. It sets us free when we forgive. We don't carry around the, the list. We don't carry around the burden with us, trying to get everyone else, you know, to, to somehow have to live up to exactly. It, it just sets us free in life. But it's also good for the culture around us. Because, because we act differently in the culture, we, we respond differently in the culture. It doesn't mean that we don't we acknowledge wrongs and things that, that need to be fixed or that we need to help change. It just means that there's, there's more to it than that. And, and this freedom that you have, then you offer it to the culture in, in response um, to the culture. I don't know if, if uh, you remember, but not, not too many years ago, there was a young man who went into a, a church in Char- uh, Charleston. It was a black church. He, he shot a bunch of people. And, and the most remarkable thing happened, came out of that. The, the children of those who were killed in that Bible study came out and forgave him. And it was not met with everybody going, oh, what a wonderful thing. It was met with anger. There are people who are doing exactly what I said, said, you're, those, you're part of the problem for giving him. You've made things worse and just vile, I mean, things said about those people for giving forgiveness. And this is what they said. This is the way our parents raised us. This is what they taught us about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And listen, I don't think you wouldn't think the same thing either, right? I don't think they all of a sudden just had this feeling of forgiveness. I think they just did it because they knew it was the right thing and they knew in time, in time, that would prove to be a better thing if we acted this out. And as I said uh, to some people, because Charleston's in South Carolina, that's my home state, I said, I've never been prouder of my home state, right? Because they led out. They led out in a way that heals, uh, in a way that fixes things. It doesn't say it was right, or there wasn't anything wrong with what happened. It doesn't not acknowledge the struggles that we have, but it also brought in their life and to the culture a solution to move forward. Because someone has got to bring a solution. Someone's got to find a a better way than the way that we tend to do it as human beings. Yeah, it's, it's good for us, but it's also good for the culture. However, let me add this, and I put this in your outline, um, because I'm going to push it back against myself here. So, but the motivation for them, for these believers, was actually even stronger than that, and for those people in Charleston also. They gave out of what Jesus had given them, and they found joy in being what? In giving, being generous. Great joy in saying, what an opportunity, you know. Why? Because they had been forgiven. 
because God had give, been gracious to them. And out of that gratitude, they also gave. There's this, this one passage Paul uh, talks about in Corinthians. Um, and there was a need in Jerusalem. There are churches in Jerusalem because of the persecution that was going on uh, who were doing very poorly. They were ostracized from their community. Um, and so churches began, especially in, in Corinth, which is a very wealthy city and, and not a part of the same system, decided, well, we want to help. And so they decided to come up with a uh, take up an offering, which they were very wealthy. And, and so um, there are other churches in another part in Macedonia who said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we want to give also. And Paul's response with them was like, yeah, you don't have anything. <laughs> they were poor. They, just, they didn't have a lot of stuff, right? They weren't like the Corinthians. And, uh, and they're like, no, don't say that. We do have a lot to give. Now, let me tell you why I like this story. It's used a lot of times whenever churches are raising money. And we're about to start. No, no, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. So, uh, but that, <laughs> the money becomes the object, but the money is actually not what the story was about. The money is just how it kind of worked out. The story, was, the story is really about an attitude. And what Paul is talking about is the way you see life and the way you understand life. So whether you're in Corinth and you're wealthy and you're talented and you're high profile and they had their own business. I mean, they were, they were a whole different place than in the churches in Macedonia. It, it, life was not about those things. It was about something on the inside of the person. And that's why the churches, the people in, in, that were believers there, objected to say, no, don't say we don't have anything to give. We do have something to give. You're just seeing the money part of it. We have something incredible to give. And that's what believers believed. That's what they, how they saw themselves. You don't understand the wealth that God has placed inside of me as God has graciously forgiven me and he's given me his grace. And I can reach out with the same grace it, rather than just getting it caught up in, in the things that, 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 yeah, they're a part of life, but they're not the heart of what is going on. So this is what he says. This is a short little paragraph um, out of that story in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God gave the churches in Macedonia. And the reason he's doing it is because the Corinthians had not followed up on, on what they said they were going to do. And he said, yeah, this can be pretty disheartening, disheartening to the other churches if you, if you come up with an idea and yet you haven't followed through on it. So he says, uh, they have been tested, the churches in Macedonia, they've been tested with what? Great troubles, yeah. Their, their life's a struggle different than, than yours. And they are very poor. They don't have anything. They don't have the resources that you have. But listen to this. But they gave, say this word with me, they gave what? Much. They gave much because of their great joy. I can tell you that they gave as much as they were able and even more than they could afford. No one told them to do it, but they begged and pleaded with us to let them share in this service for God's people. And they gave it in a way we did not expect. Listen, here's, here's what he's really trying to, to teach. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. And this is what God wants. He, he means by that, 
They were looking to God and what God had given them and what God had done for them. They'd given themselves to God. And then out of what God had given to them, the grace and the, the mercy and the love that he'd given them, they're like, no, we, ha- we have a lot to give. <laughs> and, and listen, their gift in, in, you know, probably made a, a bigger impact in Jerusalem than the gift of the Corinthians, don't know for sure, but then the gift of the Corinthians, which would have been much bigger as far as, far as monetary, but the fact that those churches in Macedonia who were poor and struggling and a lot of troubles with such joy and with such excitement gathered what they could and more than they could afford and sent it anyway. That's what motivates. That's what motivates. The reason I share that is because, you know, yeah, we live in a world. And, and the tendency living in the world is to think it's just all about this, right? That's the only thing that matters. And practically, you say, you know, it's all about that. Okay. But is it? Or is there more? And has God given us more? I, I was listening to some economists, and just to let you know, because um, I, I wanted to love to share bad news with you also, uh, the economists were saying that every adult, and which is me, and I'll tell you, you're going to have to get over one thing. And I, and I thought, uh-oh, here we go. What is this? You've got to get over the fact that one day your kids will have much more stuff than you ever dreamed of having, and they won't even have earned it. It'll just be inherited for them. And they'll have much more than you ever had. And you may think, unfair? How does this happen? You just got to get over it. That's what he said, because that's going to happen. It's going to be a reality. Same with true with our parents and our grandparents. It may not seem right. It may not seem fair. It's the reality of how it's going to work. So here's the question. What are you going to pass on to them? <laughs> they're going to have a lot of stuff. But are they going to have, they going to have something more powerful than that? More important than that? Are they going to understand some things about who God himself is that are more life-changing than the, than the stuff in this world? I hope so. I mean, I hope that's what we pass on as it has been passed on to us from parents and grandparents and that we have more stuff than they did, but they passed on something else to us that was much more powerful and much more important. In the Old Testament, the classic story of uh, forgiveness is, our, is one, certainly one of my favorite. I love the story of Joseph, first book, Genesis, right? You know, in 50 chapters in Genesis and Chronicles, you know, all the way from the beginning through Abraham. And, you know, it goes all the way to this guy named Joseph. And if you know Joseph's story, it's a remarkable story because Joseph shows some of the characteristics about God's graciousness and his gifts that are also then even bigger and on bigger display in the New Testament. I did put in your outline, I thought somebody will object to this. Joseph did not know Jesus. He did not. And I don't even say, well, but wait a minute, okay. But, he, but Jesus has not come. Jesus is thousands of years later. So he did not know Jesus, but he did know God. And, and who God was made a difference in his life and, and changed Joseph. So here's in chapter number 50, um, this is what it says in verse number 14. After burying Jacob, so that was the, the brothers, their dad, and, and Joseph's dad. Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. Because they left Egypt, they they went up into Canaan, the promised land. The the Pharaoh let them go. He had his whole entourage. And and the people in the land 
thought this is some Egyptian thing coming up because of who Joseph was and who would accompany him. And then after they bury um, uh, Jacob, they come back down uh, into, uh, into Egypt. And he says, by now, uh, but now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became, say this word with me, became what? It's because they know humanity. They understand how human beings are. And they're struggling with this part of it because this is what it says. Here's what they say. Now Joseph will show his what? His anger and he will do what? Pay it revenge. <laughs> He's going to get his vengeance on us for all of the wrong that we did to him, they said, because they had wronged him. They had taken their brother, taken everything that was his, everything he should have inherited, took it away from him. They sold him to some slave traders on their way down to Egypt who eventually sold Joseph to Potiphar as a slave in the household of, of, um, of an Egyptian royalty. And that's where he would work and how God would work in his life. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, Joseph did not let go of his relationship with God, who God was, or his belief in God. And somehow God works in his life and he brings him to a different place in life. And Joseph becomes the savior of his brothers and his family in the land of Canaan. He becomes their savior. The one rejected, kind of pointing to Jesus put on a cross, right? He's rejected, he's lost the battle, it's over, mm, hang on, hang on. Maybe not. Maybe there's something else going on, something more than that. That's, that's Joseph's story. So it says in verse number 16, so they sent this message to Joseph because they're, they're in fear. They're, they just know this is the end, he's gonna pay us back. Before your father died, now, true or not, I don't know. Before your father died, he instructed us to say, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did you, for their sin is treating you and treating you so cruel, cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, they're saying all the right words, right? Beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, listen to this, he broke down and he wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before G uh, Joseph. Look, we are your slaves. Exactly what they had done to him. We, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, listen to this. Don't be afraid of me. You, you don't have to fear me. Am I God that I can punish you? You see the humility even in Joseph's life? Joseph, he has the upper hand. He can do anything he wants. You can't stop him at this point. But Joseph, even now, still understands that the position he's put in is still underneath God himself. God has put him in this position. I'm not God. I'm not the one that makes those uh, decisions. I'm not the one who has the right to punish you or to deal with you. He says, you intended to say this with me. You intended to do what? Harm me. Yep. He's acknowledging it. But God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he assured them by speaking kindly to them. Wow. When a human being does this in a position like this, most of us would say something's going on. Most human beings, when they're in this position, they would not react this way. And maybe when Joseph was younger, maybe he wouldn't have reacted this way. Maybe in the, in, in the immediate pain of what would happen, he would not have reacted this way. 
But here, Joseph, 20, 30 years later in his life, has thought through things. He has recognized things. He looked around. He, he, he realizes that God has a better plan and that God is the one who is moving and working. And Joseph has decided to yield to that and to imitate that rather than to imitate what his brothers did. Maybe the culture around it. Because listen, Egypt certainly wouldn't have dealt with it that way. The Pharaoh would have taken revenge, right? Because he's the Pharaoh. In fact, in, in Egypt, the Pharaoh would have to take revenge. Because if he didn't take revenge, he would not be showing the power and the authority of who he is. Joseph has a different idea. He is looking to God and the power and the authority that God has. And he sees, sees God's graciousness. And so he's going to imitate the same thing. Here's what, uh, um, in that same book, here's what uh, Tim uh, Keller says. He says, forgiveness is often, or perhaps usually, granted before it's felt inside. I like that. It's granted before it's felt inside. When you forgive somebody, you're not saying, all my anger is gone. What you're saying when you forgive is, I'm now going to treat you the way God treated me. Remember Mike Pence's statement, right? I remember your sins no more. That doesn't mean I can't actually recall them. It means I'm not going to act on the basis of them. They're not the controlling reality in my life. So what is the controlling reality? The grace of God, the way in which, out of love, he controls history. Yeah. I, I know that uh, sometimes people will say, oh, okay, you need to do it this way. You need, or you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of, you've heard this before, wrong side of what? History, right. But I still like the statement that I heard a long, long time ago, that history is still his story. History is his story. And God is still the controller of history. And God's own character, God's graciousness, God's love, when the early believers would attach to it, it changed their lives, it changed their community around them, they became a different, had a different effect on them, and yes, it, it has changed, um, changed our world. It's made a difference in it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. It's, it's hard for us to understand forgiveness in this way. It's, it's just something that we normally would not grasp or hold on to. And it's not something that we would normally act out if we had the upper hand, if we had the power to do whatever, whatever we could do. But, but you changed the story. As we see your son Jesus give up everything in heaven to come here, to be hurt, to be shamed, be ridiculed, spoken of with vile language and intentionally, physically injured and hurt. And yet rather than seek revenge or even justice, he, he delivers a, a righteousness for us to set us free and to make us right. So Lord, we can know of your great love, your great faithfulness. Somehow he takes truth and mercy and he lives them both out 
in the same life so that we could be motivated to live in the same way, to put our hope and our trust in you. If you're here or maybe you're online and you've never put your hope and your trust in what God did in sending his son, in the mercy of God, the grace of God, the life-changing, life-changing forgiveness that God offers. What a great time to do that. They say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me so that I could be set free. Forgive me my sins. Lead me in a way that, that honors you and honors what you have done. In Jesus' name I pray.